isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I'm from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast. That's right. We're a storytelling show. This week, it's part three of our history of Mazda. Last week, we talked about the rotary engine and how they started a little bit of racing. This week, they got a lot more serious with it. They needed to make a big splash in the world stage. They decided to go to Le Mans over there in France and prove that they could keep up with the Europeans and the Americans. They did have a hard time with it, though. It's very intriguing. The rotary engine we talked about last week had some challenges. This is for the real Mazda heads and anybody who's curious about automotive history in general. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Pass gas. I'll see you there. It's May 19, 1903, and Dr. Horatio Nelson Jackson is a long way from his home in Vermont. After having dinner with his wife, Bertha, at the exclusive University Club in San Francisco, Horatio is joined in on a lively debate, probably over cigars and brandy, with other gentlemen about the latest trend, the automobile. Cars were a fairly new concept in 1903, and only one in 9,500 Americans actually owned one. It was a popular belief at the time that the horseless carriage was just some newfangled fad, a toy for the nouveau riche to parade their wealth down a few city blocks. In the eyes of the old school, the automobile did not have the staying power or reliability of a horse, a god-made creature, and the stagecoach. And the car could never make the link between town and country. The roads wouldn't allow it. In the early 20th century, there are 2.3 million miles of road in the U.S., but only 150 miles were paved and within city limits. The rest were dirt roads for horses. But Horatio Nelson Jackson was firmly in the camp of progress. America was on the precipice of great change. The 19th century was all about physical expansion, with Lewis and Clark voyaging from east to west, followed by the pioneers traveling to Oregon and California, and the construction of the Transcontinental Railroad. Horatio could see the automobile's full potential. Cars represented freedom. The debate at the university club reaches a crescendo when Horatio slaps a few bills on the table. $50 says that he can drive a car from San Francisco to New York City, a feat that has never been done before in less than 90 days. Yes, he was going to embark on a road trip at a time when there were no highways, no roadmaps, no street signs, no gas stations, and no red roof inns. What's the automobile even capable of such a journey? How would Horatio Jackson, an out-of-work physician and altogether inexperienced driver, complete this treacherous mission? And would he ever see that $50 again? Today on Past Gas, the story of the first cross-country road trip. Past Gas Podcast. It's about cars. It's not about ports. Have you guys ever stayed at a Red Roof Inn? Probably. Uh, I don't think so. I've stayed at a fair number of comfort inns, though, which I think is like the blue version of a red roof inn. Oh, blue roof. Okay. I was like, Democrat version? <laughs> no, like they literally painted blue. 
I'm a Hampton Inn guy. Hampton? Okay. Yeah. Fancy lad. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's the working man's Hilton, okay? So uh-huh. don't come at me with that energy. <laughs> it is funny that, you know, obviously cars have caught on. Back in the day, one of the main arguments against them was like, don't even have eyes. <laughs> like, I can't even tell if my car likes me. <laughs> My I keep putting my carrots friend. in it, and all it does is break down. Yeah, <laughs> my car's gonna drive me off a cliff. It has no self-preservation. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny that he also had a wife named Bertha. Yeah, yeah Bertha Benz. Yeah, not uh, her. It's not Bertha Benz. No, who Bertha Jackson? Her own road trip. Yeah, which we talked about it had its own episode. Yes, which was also kind of the first road trip. That was a short road trip, though. Yeah, it that was a short Europe. jaunt. Yeah. So tech, this is the count. third, count. third first road trip American road trip. That's right. We've previously covered an army convoy that went from east to west, uh-huh. led by Eisenhower in 1919. After this he came back from World War II, he saw World War One. Oh, was that it? Yeah. He saw that the Germans had built this highway system that is now the autobahn. Mm-hmm. That really made it easy to transport military stuff, and he was worried that U.S. would caught would be caught with their pants down if we ever had to yeah. mobilize. This is before that. This yeah. is near over fifteen years before so that. This is I'm gonna wake up, eat a Frisco melt, yeah, and ninety <laughs> days later I'm gonna have a slice of real New York pie, baby. A real New York pie, baby. Yeah, a big old thick slice. You gotta fold it. Ooh, I could. <laughs> Welcome back to Past Gas, everybody. <laughs> if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. My name is Nolan Sykes. I'm joined by my co-hosts. We got DJ Joe Weber. Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. Ricky, who's a Ricky? And <laughs> James Pumphrey. You got a friend in me. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the show, everybody, guys. How we doing? A little update. My toys are still coming to life. Oh, yeah, we got to get that figured <laughs> out. Night. Yeah, They're not nice. They're not nice. <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah, so today we're talking about a man with three names, Horatio Nelson Jackson. All first names. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. They don't really match. Like, it doesn't, you know, no, it doesn't have like together. a... It's like he uh, rolled a dice with names on it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, these three work. Even his initials, H and J. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. I never really liked how my initials went together. NJS. Yeah. It just doesn't. I don't know. I want it. Well, you know, when you're like 10 years yes. old and you're, oh, I never thought of that. You know, like you're 10 years old. You're like, I want a cool, like a cooler name. I didn't like my name growing up. Really? And I thought it'd be cool to have, like, I was like, could we shorten it to something like AJ? Like NJ, NJ just doesn't roll off the tongue. Like that's hard to make like a rap name off of that. My initials are J E P, and my family called me Jeep. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, or G P. G P. That's cute. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Mine are J G W. J G Wentworth, dude. I know. I love his logo. So I was always like, as a kid, drawing. <laughs> no way. Like the trying to make it look cool. That's funny. That's yeah. cool. Um. So yeah, that's just a little about us. How are we getting the story? <laughs> While the cross-country road trip had never been completed in 1903, it had been attempted. In 1899, a fashionable young married couple named Louise and John Davis 
not the creator of the Garfield comic. Which is weird because if we've read a bunch of stories with a John Davis. There's a lot of John Davises out there. Yeah, and not Jonathan Davis, lead singer Corn, and not yeah. John Davis, <clears throat> the uh, front man of Motor Week. <laughs> they attempted to make the trip from from New York to San Francisco. The two were supported by the Diary. Diarrhea Company. The D U R Y E A. Duria. Duria. Duria Company. By the Duria Company. You want to go to the beach? Duria. Duria, dude. They were supported by the Duria Company. You want another s'more? Duria. And given a two cylinder National Duria. Duria. Damn it. A two cylinder National Duria touring car for their journey. But the Davises quickly became disheartened when a one-armed bicyclist, <laughs> someone who left New York 10 days after the couple, passed them in Syracuse. And he, he took his one arm off to flip them off and he crashed. Yeah. <laughs> By the time the couple arrived in Cleveland, Ohio, their automobile had been repaired at least 20 times. <laughs> and it would take them about three months to even make it to Chicago, oh my at which point they quit. Because Chicago's a lovely place. Why would you want to leave? Might as well stay there. The automobile, Luis Davis concluded, quote, is a treacherous animal for a long trip. And that a trip like theirs required plenty of pluck, patience, and profanity. <laughs> hey. The next cross-country attempt came in 1901 when Scottish immigrant turned Cleveland car pioneer Alexander Winton attempted to do the journey from west to east, starting in San Francisco and ending in New York, but he was derailed when he got stuck in a sand drift in Nevada. Well, I didn't see this coming. <laughs> so he made it one-tenth of the way. Mm -hmm. I made it halfway to a bachelor party. <laughs> I was in Nevada recently. Yes. Very interesting state history because the people who were there originally imagined it as like a progressive intelligentsia kind of state. They wanted to have a bunch of universities there. Wow, they really, they yeah. wanted it to be like really a bastion. changed course on that one. Yeah, but then they, they discovered silver. Uh -huh. So that brought a lot of like miners in, not children, yeah. the occupation. And then they sought to differentiate themselves from Utah. Uh -huh. So that's when the casino started happening. And it really became like a, it became more focused on mining, capitalism, gambling, rather than the universities. Mm -hmm. uh, that they wanted to do. I think they also have a bunch of copper there too. They got a, the, there was a bunch of mines when we were driving through, you know, you just can't even tell what they're getting out of the ground over there, over there <laughs> outside of Elko. You ever been to Elko, Nevada? No, I have. They're down there digging. They won't tell you. Yeah. What they, they, they won't, they tell, you they won't tell you. They won't. You try and look in their truck. They say, get out, yeah. get out of here. <laughs> Shout out to Winnemucca, Nevada. Shout Lovely out place. to Winnemucca. So, not even a Scotsman who made and sold cars for a living could make a cross-country trip. Why would Horatio put himself up for this in the first place? Because the rich people are, have a lot of self-confidence. Well, Joe, Horatio wasn't associated with any car manufacturers or publications. And the previously attempted trips, though they had failed, had financial backing and some sort of planning behind them. They weren't some spur-of-the-moment bet made at a party. The short answer is that Horatio was in a bit of a transitionary period. But let's back up a bit. Horatio Nelson Jackson was born a minister's son on March 25, 1872 in Toronto, Canada, and spent his early years in Canada before he moved to Vermont for medical school. <laughs> what is this? 
Vermont. Vermont. I don't know. Vermont. Dirt. Yeah, I've been to Vermont. <laughs> After graduating in 1893, he stayed in Vermont and married Bertha in 1899. Bertha was the daughter of William Wells, one of the richest men in Vermont, and a partner in a company that manufactured Payne's Celery Compound, a cure-all tonic made up of 21% alcohol, oh and sold as a medicine to, quote, strengthen and quiet the nerves. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Some celery liqueur. Yummy. That sounds disgusting. Things were going well for the newlyweds until a year later when Horatio became so ill with tuberculosis that he had to close his medical practice. He wasn't drinking enough celery tonic. After he recovered, he and Bertha decided to do what many others in their position were doing, explore new territories and look for gold. That's not a euphemism for swinging. No. We didn't think it was. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> the pair traveled to Alaska and Mexico to invest in gold and silver mines. In San Francisco was their final stop before they would make their way home to Vermont. Horatio was a 32-year-old out-of-work doctor searching for his next great adventure, but making this $50 bet, which was $1,683.39 oh today. I thought it was, in my head, it was still just like $112. It's no, <laughs> a lot of money. At a gentleman's club would get him much more than he bargained for. Before Horatio could set off on his journey, he had to do two things. Get a navigator and get a car. Mm. After making the bet at the university club, Horatio spent the next few days prepping for his trip. During this time, he met Sewell Crocker, a 22-year-old former bicycle racer from Tacoma, Washington. Sewell was working as a mechanic in a gasoline engine factory and told Horatio that if he wanted to win his bet, he'd have to get his hands on a Winton touring car. Ooh. Good insider info. Yeah. Horatio went out and bought a cherry red 1903 Winton touring car for $3,000, equivalent to $111,000 oh today. <laughs> oh, my so God. So this dude's out of work, but he can spend that yeah. much. Well, he's like a fuckboy. <laughs> this particular car was lightly used with a chain drive and capable of speeds up to a whopping 30 miles per hour. And as was the fashion of the day, the Winton had no top and no windshield. Horatio didn't know much about cars, but he knew that his had to have a name. <laughs> he called it the Vermont after his home state. Oh, that's so boring. Yep. <laughs> yep. Doctors aren't the most interesting people. No, it's funny because if you do improv, you can immediately tell who are the writers because mm-hmm. they're very not great on stage, but very funny jokes, and they pick their time. Uh-huh. But also, lawyers and doctors are great at improv, not great actors. Yeah. But huh. they're smart. Wow. I feel like I'd be the funniest doctor on the planet. Yeah. But the hard part is not <laughs> taking the improv class. The hard part is going to medical school. <laughs> right. Which is why I didn't. I did do improv, and I didn't do medical school. <laughs> After he bought the car, he hired Sewell to be his co-pilot, figuring that having a mechanic along for the journey would be a good idea. Yeah. And the two set to work planning their trip. They removed the back seat to make room for the piles of equipment they need, cooking materials, camping equipment, spare parts, a bunch of guns, etc. As for Horatio's wife, Bertha, though she supported Horatio's decision, she ultimately decided to take the train back home to Vermont. That's smart. Horatio would later document his entire trip to her in letters. Horatio figured that it would be easiest to follow the routes of the railroads and to avoid going to Nevada. (laughs) 
As we mentioned, the Sierra Nevada Desert is the location that brought an end to Alexander Winton's attempt a few years earlier. Instead, Horatio and Sill decided to drive north through Oregon. However, this route would not only add 1,000 miles to the trip, but take the men to places where railroads didn't go. Plus, so, they're um, going to spend a lot of money at all those breweries mm-hmm. in Portland. Yeah, lots of Carhartt yeah. outlet stores yeah. up yeah, there. they're going to buy so much vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> so they immediately didn't do their plan. They were like, we're going to follow the railroads. Yeah. Ah, let's like, just uh, take a thousand mile detour to where there aren't any railroads. Right. Well, they wanted to avoid the desert, which I support. I get that. It was a gamble, especially in a time when no one even drove outside of city limits and there weren't any gas stations. Instead, the men would have to swing by local general stores, praying that the stores carried gasoline, kept for farm equipment inside. Despite the journey they faced, Horatio and Sewell were ready to hit the road. On May 23, 1903, just four days after he initially made the bet, Horatio and Sewell started down Market Street in San Francisco. They were excited for their adventure. And then the Vermont blew a tire only 15 miles outside of Oakland. 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 Oakland, California. The (laughs) The two men shook it off, used their only spare tire, and then got back on the road. I would... I would re- have more than one. Yeah, I'd be rethinking. Yeah. What? It's only like 3,500 miles. How many spare tires could we need? Yeah. One? Think about it. We made 15 miles with one. <laughs> Who's to say we can't make 2,985 <laughs> miles with the other ones? They made their way through Northern California. It's probably longer than 3,000 miles because there's no roads. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's 3,000 miles the, as the crow flies. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. They made their way through Northern California, aiming for Ontario, Oregon, where they'd be able to meet up with the railroad again. But first, they would have to ascend the Cascade Mountains, a land that had never been driven through before. Come on, guys. The journey was so bumpy at times that Horatio and Sewell's gear would fly out of the car, and they wouldn't notice until miles later. Hey, you seen our our pemmican around anywhere? (laughs) They lost things like cooking utensils, camping gear, and even Horatio's glasses. Oh, no. This initial stroke of comical bad luck would set the tone for their entire trip. Guys, I'm starting to see where this episode is going. Okay? <laughs> a little bit of funny, just funny hijinks much? <laughs> <laughs> On the sixth day of the journey, Horatio and Sewell were relieved to finally descend from the mountains and into northeastern California to a town called Alturas. They made the decision to stay an extra day so that Horatio could telegraph the Wells Fargo in San Francisco for extra supplies. Remember, they're less than a week into their journey, and they don't have a single spare tire. Mm -hmm. Plus, half their stuff fell out on the bumpy mountain (laughs) roads. Including his glasses. Including his glasses. This is like one of those bets that you make with your friend that is like solo stakes. Yeah. But you continue with it for no good reason (laughs) at all. Even though you lost your Nespresso machine in the mountains. (laughs) Ironically, a stagecoach was sent up from Wells Fargo with the shipment. Days passed, and there's no stagecoach in sight. Not great when you're up against the clock. But this waiting game in Alturas would actually prove to be a positive thing for the two. The local newspaper began to write about the car that arrived in town. No one in the area had ever seen an automobile before, so it drew a crowd. Farmers traveled for miles to get a good look at this crazy invention called the automobile. Then, Oregon newspapers picked up the stories and the news spread even further. But Horatio was stressed about the clock. 
he decided to press their luck and leave Alturas and let the stagecoach catch up with them. The gamble did not pay off. <laughs> a front spring snapped on the Vermont just as they crossed into Oregon. But by the time they had crawled into a small town called Lakeview, there was already a crowd of people gathered. They had heard the news from Alturas that the car was on its way. An article from the June 4th, 1903 edition of the Lakeview County Examiner describes the excitement. The way the streets of Lakeview were lined with people Tuesday afternoon, one would think a circus was coming to town, <laughs> or a 4th of July procession was about to pass, or some sort of king along with his entire court, including queen, knights, ladies of the court, and jesters and a whole <laughs> menagerie of old animals was passing through town. While it wasn't any of those things, the people's curiosity had been aroused from a report that an automobile was coming this way. It drove into sight at just four o'clock and the crowd surged forward to get a first look at a real live auto. I say real live auto, Figuratively, because unlike a horse, it is not live at all. It is a machine that nine-tenths of the people of Lake County had never seen. <laughs> Great creative liberty wow. with that quote. Yeah, I love that. By June 5th, a full week after Horatio and Sewell had descended from the mountains, their stagecoach delivery finally caught up with them. They were ready for the next stage of their journey. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Truly, the last place the two road trippers would want to break down was in southeast Oregon, which was 300 miles of brush and desert, and further from a railroad than anywhere in the U.S. <laughs> but that's exactly where the Vermont broke down once again. Luckily for Horatio and Sewell, a passing cowboy, yes, cowboy, was able to tow them to the nearest town, back to Lakeview, Oregon. Oh, man. <laughs> Where the people lined the streets. Where the people lined the streets like some sort of famous dictator was coming through town. They had never seen a broken down automobile before. Yeah. <laughs> they certainly never seen a cowboy towing a broken down automobile. Was it exciting? Dur yeah, it was. <laughs> the fact that the amazing automobile was back didn't impress the town folks this time. Instead, their fans at the Lakeview County Examiner wrote negatively about the trip. <laughs> fueling the fire of skepticism and doubt amongst the men on the other side of Horatio's bet. It was a dark time for Horatio. Eventually, Horatio and Sewell got the car up and running again. They made it to Oregon. They made it to Ontario, the northeast corner of Oregon. They treated the Vermont to new tires, a new front spring, and a casual drive along the railroad. And then they set off for Idaho. Oh. By the time Horatio and Sewell got to Caldwell, Idaho, they were in serious need for a morale boost. That's where my girlfriend's mom lives now. Really? Yeah. Wow. Whoa. What's in Idaho? I don't know. Why'd she move there? Because she got a bunch of money for her house in Fullerton and then got a, was able to get a house for like half the price. Yeah. A lot of Californians move into Boise and Caldwell. Wow. Yeah. We should go. Yeah. Sucks here. Yeah, you just want to go... The Tripsies. weather's bad. It's never. There's never a cool sunset. The roads are trash. The roads are trash. Well, the road, but like the drive, the the actual roads. You know what I mean. I'm going to Idaho. Have fun. I will. Okay. So they do what sad people have been doing for centuries. They bought a dog. 
Horatio, oh, I thought that was a joke. <laughs> no, Horatio paid $15 for an American bulldog named Bud. Bud became their co-pilot slash mascot and sat up in the front seat between Horatio and Sewell. He even wore goggles to protect him from the elements. Hell yeah, dude. Nothing better than a dog. Oh, my God. Wow. What? That is a very cute dog. Be, oh, yeah. Yeah. Here's a cute one. Here's a little baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. You like no goggles? <laughs> you know, $15 is $529 back dude, then. This guy's just Honestly, like throwing money around. Pretty cheap for a bulldog. I mean, people want crazy Back money. then, though, dogs were just like. Dogs were free. They were food. Yeah. You yeah. Get a dog for free back then. You can get a dog for free now. Yeah. You keep saying you can get a cat for free. You can get a dog for free. They just show up. Ask me if you want a dog or cat for free. You going to get one? I already have a cat. I don't need two. Or I, I You do two. have two cats. I don't need three. Morale firmly boosted. Just her. saying, DM me for free dog. Okay. DM <laughs> Nolan. Email Nolan at mrsharrystyles at gmail.com. <laughs> And they'll get you a free dog. Morale firmly boosted. Horatio and Sewell set off for Haley, Idaho. Hmm. Once they reached the town, they realized that they had to replace an air intake pipe because theirs had fallen off the wagon somewhere in the casting. <laughs> oh, that's going to mess with that mass airflow sensor. Yeah, probably running a little off. The part proved difficult to track down, so Horatio telegraphed Winton Motor Company directly Marking the first time they had reached out to the company. This also happened to be the moment that Witt and Bigwigs realized that one of their cars was attempting to cross the country for the first time since their failure to do so a few years earlier. This will come into play later. As a new wrench is thrown into the mix, one that no one saw coming. A little thing called competition. Oh. Like the competition between Woody and Buzz. <laughs> Two of the toys that come alive at night and terrorize me. <laughs> Wait, but one of them's nice. Woody and Buzz? Yeah. No, neither of them are. Really? Their competition is to see how <laughs> mean they can mean be. To they you. Can be to <laughs> <me>. <laughs> wow. Jeez, we gotta get that figured out. We do. If anyone knows. Have you tried like you've tried Sage? Burning tried sage. sage. I've tried. Uh, You've called a priest. I called a priest. They're terrorizing me. Yeah. What do they do? Like, are they like they're mean, like belittling, or like I'll go to sleep. I'll like... lock all my doors. Yeah. Okay. I'll go to sleep. They'll sneak into my room under the crack of the door. Mm -hmm. Under the crack of the door, yeah. or before I go to bed, they're at my house right now. I'm at work. They're yeah. setting up. Why do you places. have toy the toys in the first place? I have all the toys from Toy Story, <laughs> and they got bewitched. Oh. Mm -hmm. How? how? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that sucks, man. I'm I think sorry. they may have come like this, but I'll be asleep. I'll be asleep and they'll climb up into my bed. Yeah. And they'll lift my eyelid and just punch me. Oh, my God. So they, <laughs> yeah. you see them yeah. moving. <laughs> yeah, they don't even. That's The only reason they try and hide is not to keep their magic a secret, but it, it's to set up like a... An optimal spot. So the terrorize. rules of the movie don't exist. If they get seen, they're fine with it. They if don't they, just turn into toys. If the rules exist, they do not follow them. Damn, dude. What does your girlfriend have to say about it? She doesn't like it. She doesn't sleep over because no, of that? She does. But, she puts uh, up with it? <laughs> they seem to leave her alone. So. <laughs> <laughs> they really don't like me. <laughs> 
On June 20th, a second cross-country road trip <laughs> departed from San Francisco. The Packard Motor Company had hired Thomas Fetch, a test driver for the company, and Marius Krarup. That's an w- interesting last Krarup. name. Krarup. Krarup. Krarup, get in here. He was a lifestyle magazine reporter. Fetch, to take fetch. Their, to take their new touring car, a four-and-a-half-horsepower Model F, to New York City. Unlike Horatio and Sewell's trip, Krarup and the Packard Company have been planning their trip for three months with a full itinerary and supplies at specific train-dropped locations along their route. That's way smarter than That's Horatio. Way better plan than Horatio. It had been a month since Horatio and Sewell left San Francisco. They and Bud had found a principal road parallel with the Transcontinental Railroad, and they're making pretty good time. But as they rolled into Rollins, Wyoming, ready to get some much-deserved rest, the Vermont came to a sudden stop. According to the Ken Burns documentary on this trip, quote, The stud bolts holding the connection rods to the crankshaft sheared off and pierced through the crankcase cover. Wow, they, they just blew their engine. Yeah. Huh. It was the worst breakdown yet, an issue that could only be solved with new parts from the Winton factory in Ohio. They basically they need a new engine. Yeah, they blew the motor. The men telegraphed Winton once more and waited for five days. And this is when they learned about the Packard Company's competing trip. It's amazing that news actually spreads this fast. Pretty efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. There's just like ponies riding around with newspapers and they probably telegraphs. Well, telegraphs. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't even. I gotta be honest. I don't know how telegraphs work. Was well, it Morse code? It's basically like. But then that like prints it out on a piece of paper, or like someone transcribes the Morse code yeah. onto a printout that they hand you. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. Stop. Yeah yeah yeah. Blah 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 blah. Stop. Blah 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 blah. Blah 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 blah. Blah blah blah. Full stop. From the beginning, their trip felt doomed. The sheer number of times that Horatio and Sewell would drive more than 50 miles out of the way only to turn back around or go to bed hungry after losing supplies or battle the natural elements, most people would have quit by now. And now there was competition, question mark? They don't even have a dog. (laughs) Yeah, but they have a falcon. That's way better than a dog. (laughs) Despite the obstacles, Horatio's determination to complete the journey never faltered. Every time a new issue arose, he optimistically and perhaps naively believed it would be the last one. He even wrote to Bertha, quote, There are others on the way trying to beat us across, but I feel confident they will give up. Why do I have this confidence? Well, nothing's given me any reason to have confidence, but I'm confident. <laughs> The others were not giving up. In fact, they were catching up. Crarup and Fetch took the Sierra Nevada route that Horatio and Sewell avoided, hacking the issue faced by Alexander Winton by putting large swaths of canvas down on top of especially soft spots in the desert sand. That's smart. It's like an early traction board. Mm-hmm. Despite starting a month after Horatio and Sewell, the two were only 10 days behind them. To make matters worse, one July 6th, Another team hoping to be the first to drive across America left from San Francisco. Inside were Lester Whitman and Eugene Hammond, two experienced drivers and auto mechanics hired by the Oldsmobile Company to take the new 1903 roundabout model on their journey. Three cars were now racing one another to become the first to cross the continent. And two of those cars' drivers were sitting around in Wyoming waiting for parts. 
Eventually, they got them, and Horatio and Sewell took off for Cheyenne. At this point in their trip, they had been on the road for 42 days, nearly half of Horatio's original 90-day wager, but only a third of the way to New York. Despite the obvious difficulty, Horatio stayed positive in his letters to Bertha, writing, quote, We have had hard luck, Bertha, but I think it all came at once. We should now try to make a record trip. The worst of it is over. What makes him think the worst of it is over? He, he seems like an optimist. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say. As Horatio, Sewell, and Bud made their way through the small towns of Nebraska, crowds continued to assemble. But their interest was no longer in the automobile, but in Horatio, Sewell, and especially Bud. The car was no longer a celebrity. The people trying to make history were. Around this time, the Winton Motor Company realized that they wanted to capitalize on all the homegrown publicity by offering support to Horatio in a similar manner that Packard and Oldsmobile were footing the other expedition's trips. But Horatio said... No. Come on, dude. No. Come on. To Bertha... No. <laughs> no. At least strap your supplies down so no. they don't fly off your... Come on. No. To Bertha, he explained that the company had no idea what they had already been through, and they wanted to see it to the finish line without any corporate We're backing. not some sort of corporate shell. We're trying to give you a new engine. You don't even have an We're engine. We're independent. Just like Mac Miller. <laughs> what? <laughs> Fortunately, things were going better for them. Horatio and Sewell followed the Northwestern Railroad towards Iowa and Western Illinois. Four days after leaving Omaha, they pulled into Chicago and then on to South Bend, Indiana, then to Toledo, Ohio. So they made some good time. That's quick. That's pretty good. That's really quick. Well, it's flat as hell. Yeah. Yeah. And they're probably ripped. Oh, yeah. Then on July 20th, the 59th day of their 90-day planned journey, they pulled into Cleveland. Thank God. Home to Winton headquarters. What's up? Fuckers. You just yeah, you just cussed us out. Why are you showing up? <laughs> and despite the fact that Horatio turned down Winton's offer of payment, they still threw the Vermont's crew a massive party. Bud got to eat a little steak. Yeah, Bud probably ate a Bud got a lot of table scraps. <laughs> After this burst of morale and good fortune, Horatio was confident that he, Sewell, and Bud would be the first to reach New York. Unbeknownst to him, however, the other cars in the race began to have issues of their own. The Packard had veered off the route of the Transcontinental Railway in an effort to get a photograph of the car in front of the Rocky Mountains. The car got stuck. Dumbasses. <laughs> the Oldsmobile had its own troubles. It broke down repeatedly. By the time the team reached Nevada, they were stranded for several days with a broken part that allowed them to drive only in reverse. <laughs> this is like rat race. It's, it's pretty bad. You know, Seth Green would probably be on the the Vermont crew. Mm -hmm. Oh, hmm. Whoopi Goldberg's in the Packard. Yeah, Mr. Bean, John Turturro is in the old Mosbill. Yeah, with Mr. Bean. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Who's the guy from Money Python? John, John Cleese. Cleese. Yeah, John Cleese is definitely in the Wilton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Wilton. he he voices the dog. Yeah, he's Bud. Yeah. <laughs> now John Lugazamo's Bud. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Seth Green, John Cleese, and John Leguizamo. Yeah. I love that. Iconic trio. trio. Dudes. Yeah. Horatio. John Cleese is Horatio. Uh -huh. Seth Green as Sewell. Yes. John Leguizamo as Bud. Uh -huh. Yeah. And he swears too much. Yeah, but it's PG-13, so he says like... Holy S. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
suck my butt. That's <laughs> my B. That's my B, dude. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. It's July 19th, 1903. The plan for the Vermont's last leg of the journey is to drive from Cleveland to Buffalo in two days. But they'd go north to avoid the Allegheny Mountains, follow route alongside the Great Lakes, and then go from Buffalo and Albany before turning south to follow the Hudson River into New York City. Like most of their plans, skipping the Allegheny Mountains meant adding several hundred miles to the trip, but it still seemed safer than trying to tackle mountain roads. Ever the optimist, Horatio wrote to Bertha, We'll make it to New York City in a week unless the car breaks down completely. Which has never happened before. (laughs) (laughs) And for once, he was right. The Vermont didn't break down. Instead, they got into their first car accident. East of Buffalo, the Vermont hit a hidden obstruction in the road. Horatio, Sewell, and Bud were thrown into the air, but no one sustained any major injuries. The team was badly shaken by the incident, but were thrilled to find that the car was still able to run. So they drove on through Syracuse, Utica, and Schenectady. They crossed the Hudson River at Albany, then turned down to follow the East Bank. Their last stop before New York City was Peekskill, about 50 miles from Manhattan. Here, they were met by supportive reporters, Winton Company men, and Horatio's wife, Bertha. Ah, oh, surprise. Hi, honey. I just wanted to make sure I saw you before you ran into that little the city. She sounds Whoa. like the creepy old guy from Family Guy. <laughs> oh, you got a dog? <laughs> But I'm allergic. (laughs) (laughs) And a fleet of cars set off with the Vermont as a sort of victory procession for their final miles. It was the first Cars and Coffee. It was the first. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go to the boba shop later. (laughs) The procession crossed the Harlem River into Manhattan, then made their way towards the Holland House Hotel on 30th and 5th. At 4.30 a.m. July 26th, the first cross-country road trip was complete. In only 63 days, 12 hours, and 30 minutes. That's insane because 20 days before this, they're still in Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. They or no, dog drive. In Wyoming, I thought. Yeah, they finally trusted the dog enough to drive. He's like, hold on to your bees. <laughs> <laughs> From the first day to the last, Horatio had lost 20 pounds and spent $8,000 of his own money, which is $282,200 oh today. Wow. Including the price of the car, a wage for Sewell, lodging, replacement parts, 800 gallons of gasoline, and of course, the $15 to purchase Bud. <laughs> but Horatio would later say, It was worth every red cent and every pound to win that $50 bet. As it turns out, Horatio never even collected the money. It made his point. By completing the journey, Horatio showed that hard work, determination, and an automobile were capable of. Or to quote Horatio himself, I've never worked so hard in my life, but we can show what the machine. And a good man can do. So I just crunched the numbers on this. They spent 800, or they went through 800 gallons of gas. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. 
assuming between 3,500 and 4,000 miles, just because of all the snaking and stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's like four and a half MPGs. Wow, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a few years after the cross-country road trip, an organized American movement began to improve the nation's roads to accommodate the automobile. The plan would include paving rural roads and creating traffic signage and maps. Without Horatio, Sewell, and Bud's well-publicized journey, this may not have happened so quickly. In 1913, the Lincoln Highway, a coast-to-coast thoroughway, was completed. But what about the crew of the Vermont? Horatio headed back to Vermont, where just a few months later, he was arrested for speeding. (laughs) He went on to become a successful businessman, newspaper publisher, and even owned a bank. Then, during World War I, despite being in his 40s, Horatio insisted on enlisting in the Army and going overseas. He eventually returned as a hero with a distinguished service cross and France's Croix de Guerre. When Horatio came back to the U.S., he ran for governor of Vermont and lost, and he helped found the American Legion. Hell yeah, dude. That's where my punk band played. Nice. In 1944, Horatio donated the Vermont to the Smithsonian Museum. Eleven years later, in 1955, he passed away at the age of 82. That's a good life. Yeah, wow. You guys going to war? You gonna go? You gonna be in this upcoming war? Yep, I I'll go for a little bit. Yeah. I signed up. I, I don't you. know if they're gonna call me. They'll or probably not. let me like drive a plane, you know. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna get on the influencer program to become a fighter pilot. <laughs> <laughs> they give F-22s to anybody with over 300,000 followers. Is that fifth gen? Yeah. That's that's actually a Russian plane. F-22. No, the Segoy is the fifth gen. The, suit, the SU-57 oh. is the fifth. The F-22 is fifth gen as well. So is the F-35. <sighs> I've been playing a lot of ace combat lately. Anyway, unfortunately, Sewell Crocker's post-trip life was a little less illustrious. After completing the trip, Sewell stayed in New York to try to find a sponsor for a round-the-world car expedition, but nothing came of it. He eventually went back to Tacoma, Washington, where he grew ill and died at age 32. Dang. That sucks. As for Bud, the OG dog with goggles, he grew old in Vermont alongside Horatio and Bertha. We've said it before, but the cross-country road trip is an American rite of passage. If you break it down further, it kind of defines the American dream, using freedom to control one's destiny. Horatio Nelson Jackson, alongside Sewell Crocker, proved that automobiles are freedom. By completing the first cross-country road trip, Horatio proved the naysayers wrong. Cars were here to stay. Fortunately, he and his team possessed plenty of pluck, patience, and I'm assuming profanity to get the job done. Yeah, I swear at my car all the time. Yeah. I say, you don't do this to me right, you're going to do this to me right here? In front of everyone on the 110? You're really going to do this to me right in front of everyone? My dad's in this car right now. <laughs> All right, we got some mail this week. This one's from Jonah. <laughs> Love listening to you guys. Wish I could carry you guys around in a bottle with me and have commentary on daily situations. Oh, that's pretty cute. <laughs> what the H, Jonah? <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love James's advanced sense of comedy and Joe's willingness to play along and keep the little tidbits of imaginary comedy advanced scenes going. Advanced sense. I don't need medical school. That's an <laughs> improv, baby. Advanced. Love Nolan's dad vibe, even though he's the youngest, almost like a Malcolm in the Middle situation. Wow. Jonah really uh, 
busting out the simile. You are kind of the Malcolm. I'm the Dewey. You're the Reese, James. Yeah, I'm like Reese mixed with Hal and then the older brother, too. It's <laughs> <laughs> great, dude. That show has aged particularly well. It's so funny. It's great. Love you guys. Hope maybe one day you could do more stories on varying F1 champions. Keep up the great work and hope you guys stay safe. Well, thank you, Jonah. Thanks, Jonah. I hope you stay safe and thank, thank you for your you, wonderful Jonah, you email. You stay safe too, dude. My name is Jonah. That's bow, right. Now, now, now. Be really nice. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hit us up, uh, send an email to pastgas at donutmedia.com. Maybe we'll read it on air. That was nice. Thank you, Jonah. Follow my boys on all social media at James Pumphrey, at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes if you'd like. Big thank you to our producers, as always. Gavin Kinzel, Christina Felsky, and our writer this week. Emmy Lichtenberg. All right. Uh, see you next time. Bye. 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 Dur, yeah. Dur, yeah. I had fun with this one.